Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. This is going to be an amazing show. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you're a veteran, if you're a business owner, you're going to want to get a piece of paper and pen to write this stuff down because we're going to be talking about how to scale your business. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. Our sponsors today are um, OVF, Operation Veteran Freedom. They're a veteran um, group on Facebook that helps people like myself um, launch pr digital products. And they'll, they'll help you go from zero to having your, your product out on, in the market within 12 weeks. And uh, they've done that for my book. And that, that's the other thing we we're talking about. My book is now hit number one on Amazon twice. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Um, and there, without them, it wouldn't be yet where it is now. So definitely check out the book and 22% of the proceeds go to help Project Die Hard, which actually helps veterans that are struggling with homelessness and PTSD. So I want to thank Brian, Brian Gibson and Project Die Hard for what they do. But guys, like I said, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, my friend Corey, we just became friends and I'm so grateful that he is an amazing person, an amazing resource. He served his country. He's done some great things in uniform and doing even better things out of uniforms. Corey, what's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Oh, you know what? Life is so good. Um, I got I got to wake up this morning. I got to get, do my cardio, listen to some you know stuff on Audible, and then I got to talk to Mr. Russell Brunson this morning, talking about you know uh, everything digital. And a lot of people don't realize that we're that's where we're going. We're going in the digital age. And, and I think what you do is, you know, you tell you, you get people from some people like me, older guys like me, go from the old, old, st old style to becoming new school. Right. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So now where do you come from? Where'd you grow up and what kind of little boy was Corey? Little boy. Uh, I was uh, I was a mischievous older brother and I came from Lubbock, Texas. Um, and so I'm still in Texas. I've, uh, I call this my third escape attempt from Lubbock. I joined the military and, um, tried to escape from Lubbock. And then I, uh, went back home for college after the military and then escaped one more time over to Chicago. And then I, uh, went back home after Chicago to, uh, to really start my business. And then now I'm in Austin. And, um, and so uh, I love Texas. I love being from Texas. Um, and I love what we stand for here. Um, but, you know, uh, I work with people all over the, all over the planet, really, uh, nowadays. And it really comes down to um, just helping people out. And that's, that's just what I've always done. I've always tinkered with things and always try to figure um, things out. All right, Matt, the name of the book is A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. It's on Amazon. You can find it. Thank you so much. Um, ah, crap. So now take us back to high school. Were you an athlete? Were you good in school? So I was an athlete in junior high school, and then um, I didn't grow. So I, <laughs> I decided to sit out uh, the high school athleticism uh, and became a mathlete instead of an athlete. And, um, so I was really good in school. Um, but I had, you know, uh, 
I think, you know, the ADHD and, and all of that stuff that was kind of undiagnosed at the time. And uh, we really just kind of, um, I, I was friends with the jocks and I was friends with the choir students and I was just uh, friends with everybody and everyone knew my name. And I didn't realize, I guess I was a popular kid or, or whatever, but I didn't ever realize that. And so um, I was just always friendly to everybody as, as much as I could be and, uh, and just got along with everybody. So I was kind of a, a people pleaser at that point. And, and, uh, and I did a lot of art back in uh, high school and junior high school. I designed my first websites back when I was 14, did my first, downloaded my first Adobe Photoshop and, and things like that off of LimeWire back in the day. Um, and so I got really into the computers and, and uh, started doing a lot of, um, you name it, building computers, taking them apart. Um, I've always just had that mechanical tinkering kind of mindset. And I got my A plus certification back in high school. Um, I taught, taught a class down there at the technology center uh, in graphic design and 3D design. Uh, and I was about 16 or 17 at that point. Um, and so, you know, I was always just trying to help people and trying to teach people and, and, uh, and, and then of course, just being creative and, and, uh, taking things apart, you know? Okay. So now, you know, going back to, you know, when I was younger, you know, when, when we didn't even have computers yet. And then once it came out, um, it seems like a lot of people really got hooked onto computers, but I never did. And I joined the military in 1986 because I'm an, I'm one of the OGs, the old guys. Uh, yeah. So did you go to college for computers or what did you do after high school? Um, I went straight into the military after high school um, and joined up with the 717th Cav, did aviation operations. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I love everybody's recruiting story because oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you must have crushed the ASVAB. So what was it? Tell us about that getting recruit, you know, you're recruiting. And then once you had your AVCAVs, your you're at your score. Um, so I actually, um, back in high school, I was a little bit of an athlete, uh, to the, to the fact that I, um, can you hear me still? Yeah, I hear you. There great. we go. We, we look like we blacked out there a second, but, uh, yeah, I went to, I, you know, I was trained to be a Navy SEAL. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Um, that's what I wanted to do. And so I went to the Navy and the recruiter told me, Hey, that's not how this works. You don't just sign up for being Navy SEAL. And I was like, well, that's how I want it to work. So I don't know. Let me go talk to these Army guys over here. And the Army guys said, oh, yeah, 18 X-ray program, sign on the dotted line right there. And I was like, okay. So they said, you know, the only um, way that you're going to get, you know, out of the 18 X-ray program or is, is because you failed out or you did something incorrectly. Or, you know, or you couldn't hack it. You know, that's the only, you are the, you are the only person that's going to preclude you from, from finishing this. Right. And so I got up to MEPS and they said, Corey, and of course I'd been doing Adobe Photoshop and all of this other stuff. And they said, Corey, you're colorblind. You can't go infantry, which means you can't go special forces and because you can't read maps. Um, and so uh, I was like, well, um, you're wrong. 
I'm not colorblind. I've never been colorblind. Um, and they're like, you didn't pass this test, man. You suck. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, man. I guess take me home, you know. And uh, so they said, well, we've got a couple of other jobs for you. And, you know, without getting into the weeds, I ended up picking aviation operations. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I know uh, in other groups and we've talked about faith and things and I don't, I don't like to get too deep into it, but I believe that that was God saying, Hey, you go to special forces, you're going to die over there. You are, that's, that's not the path we want for you. And, um, and, you know, I think getting into aviation was a really beneficial thing for me because it showed me the world of operations and office management and running the battlefield from an office. Um, but also I got to go do really cool, fun things. Um, but I, but I made it out with all my fingers and toes, luckily, you know, uh, and I really owe it to those that didn't. Um, and I think we all do. Right. But, you know, at that point, looking back and saying, okay, that's, that was where I was meant to be. And so I had, um, I had a really rough little go of it trying to get into the army. They didn't want me in special forces, but I think at the end of the day, it was a, it was a great experience for me and a, and a, and a transformative experience. Now, how many years did you do? I did my four and out, um, but we were stop loss. So it ended up being about four and a half. So. All right. Now, I've, you know, I've had now, I think, almost 500 interviews now. And it seems like a lot of people, when they get out of the military, I know me, it was rough um, because, you know, I, I did everything I could to become the ultimate soldier, but I got hurt on duty. And then when they, they discharged me, I didn't know who I was. And I, I, I talked to a lot of people and, you know, they say, you know, when you get out of the military, even though we're all hoo hoo hardcore, all that bull crap, um, you know, we still get get used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th, getting 30 days paid vacation, you know, getting our TRICARE and all that. And then, we'll, you know, like Sergeant Nick from our group, you know, vet, the vet, Veterinary Tribe guys, you need to join it, by the way. Um, Sergeant Nick says, you know, once you your feet hit the streets, the military doesn't give a shit about you. The phone stops ringing and you're pretty much a man or a woman on an island. So what was your um, transitioning like when you got out? Um, it was pretty rough, I will say. Um, I got out. So at the end of my deployment to Afghanistan, um, that's when the Obama administration had uh, said, no more stop loss. We're not doing that anymore. And basically, the pressure started rolling downhill from the generals and on uh, to get us out of the military. Uh, if you were overseas or whatever, it doesn't matter. You need to go home. Right. Um, and so they uh, they said, hey, Corey, um, instead of going on leave during your uh, Afghanistan tour and then coming back and then packing up and then getting out of the military, why don't we just send you back and you just won't go on leave? You'll just go home so you won't have to pack anything up. You know, you're just going home early, basically. And I was like yeah, let's do that. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm okay with not getting shot out for an extra two months. So, um, they, um, 
They sent me, let's see, I went, I left country at the end of October, out processed the military the month of November. I was back in Lubbock, Texas, the beginning of December, and I started uh, Texas Tech University January 12th of 2010. Okay. Uh, my terminal leave ended on January 30th. So um, I, you know, that was, that was really rough to just out process. That's a year long process if you're not in combat, a year long process to out process your job, to go to all the classes, to go see the psychiatrist, to go see the, the, the doctor. Um, all of the things that you would normally do got compressed and skipped a lot of times um, because they just wanted to get all, a bundle of us out of the military. So they were just shoveling us through. And um, I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know at that time. You know, I didn't know what kind of injuries, um, long-term injuries I had sustained from, um, you know, trying to be the best unit on Fort Campbell and running further than these other guidons, you know, and uh, lifting heavy things and trying to just be the best athlete and all of this other stuff. Um, how how do we how do we know that if you outprocess me in a month? So those things didn't a- appear right away. Um, I did make a couple of medical claims at the end, right before I got out, and then um, they be- they were just unsubstantiated for a number of years because they they never did uh, process that that uh, those documents and things like that. And of course, I was like, I'm in school. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do this fine, whatever. Um, yeah, my shoulder hurts every once in a while, but not a big deal. I'll, you know, number one priority was school. And so I dug into school and that was my number one priority. Um, I made new friends. I knew that I was going to be, um, out alone. And so I joined a fraternity um, and that was that was helpful until it wasn't. Um, we can get into that in a second. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that I had a structure around myself. I structured my uh, learning uh, just like I had been kind of trained up in the army. Hey, let's backwards plan. We've got a final on this day. Let's backwards plan and say, here are all the things that we need to do before that final. Okay, so that builds in study days and things like that. Hey, we've got to reread this chapter. So we're going to do. So I built all of that together. And then um, and so I had a system. Great. Got the system. Um, And then Texas Tech has a program called the MVP, the Military Veterans Program. And man, that team um, and I'm sure the people that are there now are just as fantastic. But we had a fantastic team on uh, faculty up at Texas Tech to support the military veteran uh, community. Uh, and they were all veterans themselves. They, they were working in the office. They'd been an Air, they're an Air Force veteran or a Navy veteran or an Army veteran. And so we could all, we all kind of related and, you know, they helped us get the GI Bill stuff settled. So I had a really great transition on the civilian and mental side because I was prepared to go into that environment. My leaders in the military were like, hey, don't re-up, like you need to go to college. Um, and then of course I had the, the re-enlistment guy 
come after me all the time. But um, but I had great leadership and they said, go up, go, go to college, be an officer if you want to come back in, but go to college and do your thing. So I had fantastic people around me. And um, and so I, I attribute a lot of my success in college to that. Now, what did you major in? So I started in uh, uh, civil engineering and architecture. And then I dropped civil engineering uh, fairly promptly. Um, uh, it, and it really was a personality clash, not not the numbers and things like that. Uh, but the um, the end all, I, I ended up majoring at the end of it in business and entrepreneurship. And that transition came about because I was in architecture and they were like, well, it's going to be six years for this degree program. Then you got to spend another four years as a junior architect uh, before you take the exam. Then you're going to have another 10 years as an architect under another architect um, before you can really own your own firm uh, or become a partner. And and that's if you're, you know, good. Um, and then I was like, well, that's another 20 years from now, you know, that's an entire career just trying to get to be an architect. I don't think I want to do that. I think I want to own the architecture firm. (laughs) So, uh, part when I transferred out of that civil engineering, uh, they have the business and architecture dual master's degree. And so, um, I started taking business classes. And um, that was really eye-opening for me because in architecture, I was killing it on design, but I was making C's because that's just the nature of architecture. They just kind of degrade you and stomp you into the mud. Um, it's like it's like six years of basic training kind of mentality, like that first week of basic training, every architecture professional is like, no, this isn't good. <laughs> But, um, you know, you kind of learn to deal with that emotionally. You're like, ah, I've been through worse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the architecture, I wasn't, you know, I was mediocre at best. I was like, what, what is going to happen here in 20 years if I'm mediocre now? And I want to be the best, right? We were, we were always, that's our mentality when we, yeah. that's mainly the people that are going to join the military, alphas. Yep. We, you know, we want to be the best or we want to contribute to society in such a meaningful way. Um, so if I can't do that, what, where does that leave me? That's the identity crisis. Now, That's did, the, now did you ever go through, because I've talked to a lot of people that they have their MBA in business and entrepreneurship. And now that they've gotten out of college, they, they think back and they're like, wait a minute, most of my professors never even started a business. They don't really have a clue of what being a street entrepreneur is like. You, I mean, I, I know they, talk, they teach you a lot of theory and stuff like that, but have you ever just looked at some of your professors and be like, what business have you ever started? So uh, I was, again, lucky to be surrounded by uh, people that had started business, that were entrepreneurs, that had received millions of dollars in funding from investors um, or had reached the highest echelons of their professional careers as the CEO of a business or as a director of a business. Um, one guy, um, he was one of my favorite professors, uh, but he he has a story about they he was 
grabbing up a bunch of radio stations uh, over on the West Coast and in Arizona and California and all that. And uh, I guess he was about to acquire this company with lots of radio stations. And Donald Trump came in and grabbed all the that company. One of Donald Trump's companies came in and snatched it up. Uh, like while they were, you know, inking a deal, you know, and he just came in and snatched up. So, he, you know, these guys n- were were in business. Uh, my entrepreneurship, the actual class of of. of entry level to entrepreneurship class, that guy was an entrepreneur and he still is. He's a piece of multiple companies uh they're working on uh, emerging technologies in um um my uh microbial um uh, what it, they're using uv light to like get rid of microbes in clothing for doctors um and i mean what what kind of uh genius taught my class that he can be working on that kind of stuff so um you know i had really great professors around me I did have the one-off, you know, master's student that was teaching an ethics class and it was all book learning. Um, and it's like the test was, uh, and I even had a discussion with that teacher because I was older than her. Um, I was like, Hey, look, you keep writing these tests. It's all about who wrote this book and when did they write it? Not about what the book was about, not mm-hmm. about what should we glean from that book? Mm-hmm. What, what was the main point? That they were trying to make in that paper that they wrote. I don't care who wrote it. I really don't. I want to know why they wrote it and what it was for and what it should teach me to continue on business. I've still got books that I refer to constantly on the bookshelf behind me. Um, and the, uh, the fact of the matter is I still don't know who wrote half of them. <laughs> you know? There's little, there's little things. So, there, there's definitely those teachers out there that have never run a business. They will never run a business and they've just got to teach a certain subject. Um, and they're trying to get something, you know, or maybe they will run a business someday, but they're a master's student or a PhD candidate. Um, and they can't really help it. One thing that I will say that was very beneficial is the leadership from the military and then doing college afterwards. Um, even even that, you know, even some of those teachers that didn't know what they're talking about, they were reading out of the book. I was sitting there saying, oh, this was what Lieutenant Colonel Bontrager was doing over here. He wasn't telling us what he called this, but this came out of this book and this came out of that book. And so I was able to draw those lines where, you know, my 22 year old compatriots uh, were unaware of, you know, they had never had an experience to draw that line to. So from a management standpoint, a leadership standpoint, I was able to soak in a lot more data um, and and have a meaningful grasp in my brain on some of that leadership, ethics, business, operations, and you know even finance and accounting, just because of the nature of the business that I did in the military. Now, when you were in school, did you start a side hustle? Because you know a lot of times, sometimes you know like. You, you kind of have to dip your dip your toe into the entrepreneurial space to start really learning. And, you know, I was no. just like I said, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine today and he and he said that, you know, if you don't have any skin in the game, then you're, you're really not doing anything. You're, you know, you're playing business owner. So did yeah. you 
dip your toes into the entrepreneurial spirit while my you- uh, my first entrepreneurial venture was 11 years old and i started a lawn mowing company uh with my father's lawnmower and weed eater and then i saved up enough money to buy my own and it ended up being better than his uh because mine was gas powered and and uh his weed eater was electric or whatever and so i've been doing this all my life uh businesses I, when fidget cubes and fidget spinners started up, I started a website, fidgetbomb.com. When, uh, you know, when people started investing online, I had already been investing in businesses, um, uh, you know, before, before Robinhood ever existed. Um, I've, I've, I've been doing little things, big things here and there throughout my entire life. When I got out of college, though, that's, you know, another identity crisis. I thought, okay, to really get into business, let's go work for a number of years, save up some good capital, and then start a business. And um, and so I did that with Caterpillar for a while, and um, and then I started my business. But it, it wasn't near as long as I thought I would spend. I had that epiphany. I was like, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I, I can't even begin to, uh, tell you all of the side hustles and things that we were doing a little bit of event promotion. We were doing, uh, woodworking. Um, so making, uh, making pieces of wood for charcuterie boards and things like that, because we had the manpower and the equipment. I just hired all my fraternity brothers and we just made stuff. Um, you know, we, I mean, you name it, we were doing it. Um, and so, you know, there was just a lot of, a lot of different businesses that I was involved in, in college. Um, and even, even just, uh, outside of, outside of the, the university, you know, we were, we were making money, uh, you know, doing, doing different things. So, now, you know, one of the things that one of our uh, friends, Stephen Eugene Kuhn, talks about, um, you know, if you don't have a business plan, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. And yep. a lot of us, we get out of the military. And I and I'm, I got to admit, I was I was that guy. Uh, you know, you want everybody wants to start a T-shirt company, hat company, liquor, coffee. And yep. then six months later, you're ten thousand dollars in debt. And you don't know what the hell just happened. So. Talk, talk to us a little bit about um, the mindset of learning the business in the military and how it helped you start businesses in the civilian sector. Yeah, I think one of the main things that you've got to take into account is anything that you do in the military, even if it seems haphazard because you're an infantry grunt and they're like, hey, go down there and inspect this thing. They've planned that out. Someone planned your route. Someone planned, they did a risk assessment. They did all of this work. They made sure that you were going out at the right time of day. They looked at the intelligence on the map to make sure that you were you were trying to travel on a safe road, as safe as possible in a combat zone. Um, if you're flying a sortie, if you're flying a, uh, a rotary wing aviation mission over Afghanistan or Iraq, every little piece of that is planned out and risk assessment, and uh, we're, we're looking at the threat assessments uh, with your S2, everything. And so bringing that planning and um, that kind of 
awareness of the process of planning to a business is is absolutely vital. And and from the military, uh, again, a lot a lot of my friends that were in a different uh, you know troop because um, we were cab, we weren't in companies or anything, but we were in a you know different troop. They didn't get the same experience um, that I did because I was you know, managing the battlefield as opposed to being on the battlefield uh, from the tactical operations center and things like that. So he's absolutely right when he says, you know, you need a business plan. Um, you know, if someone says, hey, I really just want to get something started. Um, I want to get this going. I say at a very minimum, I want to I want you, even if you're not going to seek investors, I want you to convince me to invest in your company. And the reason I want you to do that, not that I'm going to, but I want you to convince me that this would be a good place to put my money. Because if you can do that, then you can convince yourself that this is a good place to put your money. If you can't seek out an investor uh, for something, you might not be at the right stage, um, but you need to have that goal in mind um, as a concept to seek out that investor. And the reason I say that is because it, it really is that buy-in that, um, uh, is this a good idea? We're not just hopping on, you know, the good idea bus and going down the road. Um, good idea bus, another um, uh, little army uh, military term that I gleaned. And then in, in school we had a, there's actually a leadership story about everyone goes to get ice cream and then when everybody gets back they're like that was kind of a i didn't really want to go in the first place and it's just because everybody kind of agreed in the first you know to get in the car and go get ice cream and they're like ah, i really i'm kind of lactose intolerant actually and so everybody just kind of used that first energy to get on the good idea bus and that there's actually leadership in that little term but don't just get on the good idea bus you need to actually plan it out and say is this profitable is this something I'm passionate about? What parts of this am I not going to be passionate about? And do I need to hire out? Do I need to outsource? Do I need to um, do, you know, and and that's that's where a lot of people get into trouble. Hey, I love woodworking. Oh, I have to now do my bookkeeping because if I'm trying to sell something, I have to manage this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not very organized with my paper, my paperwork. I love woodworking. But paperwork, I'm not really great great at. Or, hey, I'm not really great at photography and taking pictures of something. Um, I need to hire that out. I'm not passionate yeah. about it. So that's where a lot of people get into trouble is they don't, they don't do a business plan. So do at least a one-page business plan. Saw, you, know, do, you know, go online, find something on, uh, on the interwebs, get a one-page business plan together. If you want to pay someone like me, we can put together a 50 to 75 page business plan with all of the intricacies of your uh, multi-million dollar business that you're going to make. But uh, otherwise, just go put something on paper, put something on paper and um, and at least you'll have a plan. Uh, the other side of that is having a plan now, six months from now, a year from now, you have what, what do you have? You have a measuring stick. Did we achieve our goals? Did we have a good goal? Hey, we achieved more than our goals. 
Um, so maybe this next year we have a little bit higher aspirations. So if you never write anything down and put that on the business plan, you'll never know if you're doing good or not either. So um, having just something there um, is is better than having nothing, obviously, right? Um, but beyond the empty platitudes, um, it really does provide a measuring stick for your business um, to even get started. Say, hey, I'm going to take this from a hobby to a business. I want to make money. I want to pay for my spouse's vehicle. I want to, you know, pay for the roof over our heads. That's a big jump. You need to think it through. You need to have paperwork to back it up and say, yes, this looks like it will be profitable. Yes, I think I can, you know, get people in on this and we can make a business out of this. And I can have employees and I can have investors if I want. Um, but if you just, oh, we're just gonna start making coffee or t-shirts, uh, yeah, you're gonna make a little bit of money, but you're gonna really scrimp on the operation side, uh, which is mainly what I focus on with the business uh, consulting. You know, and I love that, you know, talking about that. Um, my friend Joe DeSena of uh, Spartan, uh, he, had, he had, this last week, he had uh, a company that went from 9 million a year profit to negative 400,000. And a lot of it, because they want to expand, but meanwhile, they're hemorrhaging money. And I think a lot of people get into that. They start seeing, you know, I'm making a little bit of money, but they, they're not really focusing on their margins. And, you know, I was with GNC for a lot of years and I got taught that, you know, margins are everything. And, you know, and like, you know, Joe said, you know, you guys got to go back look at your business plan and realize, you know, everything's screwed up. You know, you have to go back and don't worry about expanding, worry about your processes, you know? So talk to us about sometimes when you have a business plan, you know, like Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. So, you know, with COVID, a lot of people shit the bed because of it. Yep. So talk to us about having a business plan and then oh, having to uh, pivot and reimagine and reinvent your business. Yeah. So I'll raise my hand. I had to, I had to, you know, do the, do the pivot during 2020. One of the things I did is I was making plenty of money. I was, uh, I was enjoying life. Um, and I was in a good spot. Um, and my, my dog passed away in 2019 at the end of 2019. And that was really, I don't have a spouse. I don't have kids. Um, and so I was like, I want to go hike the Appalachian Trail. I like hiking. I want to go do that. Um, I'm going to turn 35 here pretty soon. So let's go do that before I get really old and can't do that. Um, and, 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 you know, like we discussed a little bit earlier, I've got some issues that are creeping up on me. And I'm like, ah, we better we better get this while I can. Um, but, you know, so what I did is I, I fired all of my clients. But before that, I ignored my business plan. And before that, I ignored the market research. So let's back up. Corey, you did market research and then you ignored it? I did some market research. There was no business consultants in Lubbock, Texas that were uh, specifically operations and process. That's what I do. That's what I love to do. Um, and so I was like, great blue ocean, right? Nobody's there. 
And then I was like, why isn't anybody there? Well, maybe the market sucks. Maybe nobody in Lubbock, Texas needs an operations or wants an operations consultant. Maybe there's not enough businesses that are making enough money uh, to really warrant someone sticking around Lubbock to do that, right? So I did all of that research. I've still got it. Um, and then I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I need to stop hemorrhaging money in Chicago. And I need to move back to Texas. I like Texas. Let's do it. Let's move back to my, uh, my hometown, Lubbock, and try that out for two years. If they don't need an operations consultant after two years, if I'm getting most of my business outside of Lubbock, then um, let's move. Let's make a change, right? So I made a plan. I checked the numbers. I made a plan. Then five years later, I found myself, you know, kind of still in Lubbock. Not Lubbock was about, you know, 2% of my yearly income um, or revenue, I should say. And, um, and really, they and the margin sucked because they didn't ever want to pay anything. Um, those kind of clients out there were just not, um, they weren't my kind of clients, right? I was getting most of my business out of Dallas, Denver, uh, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, you know, you name it, Chicago. I've had, I had some of my clients still up there and, you know, you name it everywhere but Lubbock, Texas. And I ignored that. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm finally getting some, you know, getting some ground here. Uh, local hometown hero kind of let's get some, you know, big fish in a small pond. Let's get some things going. And it kind of trickled in every once in a while. And I thought I was going to get some grass and I just never did. So I was like, hey, let's um, fire all my clients and let's go hike the Appalachian Trail. Well, I was already the boat was already sinking. See, Um when COVID hit, I couldn't hike the Appalachian Trail, not because the trail was dangerous, but because getting off the trail and finding toilet paper was treacherous, right? So if you know anything about the Appalachian Trail, you got to get off the trail and go buy groceries every once in a while, you know, every week or several days. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, if I can't get toilet paper yeah. in a big city like this, if I get off the trail to some of these small towns and the only thing uh, that you normally go to is a gas station... It's on the, it's in the book. You know, you go to this gas station, that's the closest thing. That's the best thing. And they're closed because of COVID then I'm screwed. What if I can't get on a plane to go back home because of COVID? If something happens, I twisted my ankle pretty bad. I got to go to the hospital COVID. So all of the logistics things kind of fell apart. And I was like, well, I've already sold all of my furniture in the house. I've already, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, I don't, I don't have anything left. So I was on a burn rate all of 2020. And I was like, what, what are we doing? You know? Um, and so, so even though I had my savings because I had been doing business consulting for five years, it was a whole lot less than if I would have just moved to Austin and paid attention to my business plan. Um, and I think really those, you know, you have a plan. If you don't stick to it, then things go wrong. Right. Uh, I was already in this position where I got to stay in Lubbock, Texas now because of COVID. Well, there, no one has historically bought any of my services here. I can't go travel and shake hands and, and look people in the eye like I used to. 
we've got to do it digitally now, but I haven't built my business around that digital thing. So how do I, how do I pivot here? And so um, I ended up taking some of my skills that I'd already uh, had and uh, started my graphic design company, Traction Graphics. Um, and I, the reason I hadn't done that in the past is because I, I'm an operations consultant. That's what I do full time. I don't have time to do graphic design. Um, and now I do, you know, so, um, so I, I went ahead and made a new brand and uh, did all of the things that I needed to. And I've been looking back on that old business plan and saying, yeah, I got punched in the mouth and things changed and um, the plan has to change. So I think from all of the businesses that I've worked with over the last six years, um, the biggest thing to, to glean from that story right there is even the business consultant messes up um, and his business isn't perfect either. I've never run into a business that is perfect. But if you've got a plan, you at least have a goal in mind. You at least can head towards the light. And if you get off track a little bit, you just look back at the light and say, oh, I've got to go that direction. You put the compass back, you pull your compass out of your pocket, right? If you don't, if you leave the house without the compass or without a, a goal in mind, you never know where you're going to go. So I think just taking that into account and saying, hey, look, if we plan this way, things are going to change. Things are going to break. Things are going to completely dissolve under your feet. But, hey, okay, we ran into this obstacle. That's all it is, an obstacle. It's not a death sentence. So when, you know, and that luckily, so the good things that I did is I created processes. I have processes for how do I deal with one-on-one -on -one clients? What I'm doing this year is I'm building new processes to bring on, uh, and I think we've talked about this in some of the groups that we are in, uh, is I'm building almost a secondary business to the consulting side for the online learning and the group side, because I've just been a one-on-one -on -one guy for a long time. Hey, I'm going to go into your company and I'm going to do the thing that I do and I'm going to help your company. But I have to physically be there for that. I have to be present for that or I have to be online for that uh, and I have to use my hands. Once I create some content or do something like that, it's online, just like you writing the book. And so shifting gears and saying, hey, I got punched in the mouth. I Six years ago, I started a one-on-one -on -one consulting agency or you know and i i go into businesses and i help them out now i know that that is unsustainable long term i need something else on the side to bolster that when that goes away yeah and so i've been focusing on that because it was there and now i realize that i myself need to diversify my income streams you know and, and I so would from a business if i'm my own business coach or my own business consultant, I need to maybe take a step back and say, oh, let me let me practice what I preach a little bit. Yep. And, you know, like I was talking to our friend, uh, John Lee Dumas. Um, he's got like, I think he's generating 150000 a month on his podcast. And he's doing, he gets over a million, awesome. a million listeners a month. But he said, you know what? For the first three years, like Gary, you know, like our friend Gary said, Gary Vaynerchuk said, you know, you got to eat shit first couple of years and you know like jld said you know i did a podcast every day 
for a year straight. And he said, but it wasn't until I sat down and looked at my analytics to find out who I'm marketing to. Because sometimes when you start a company, um, like for me, I told you earlier who, who my avatar is. But a lot of times before he told me, Rich, go look at your analytics. Go see who's actually listening to your show. And I thought it was something totally different. And until I started honing down, you know, he said, sometimes you have to go an inch wide, but a mile deep. So yeah. talk to us about, you know, finding your avatar, you know, finding that person, your perfect customer or else, you yeah. know, like you're, you know, like we were taught by some of, you know, some of the great marketers in this world, like Jim Rohn, you know, if you're marketing to everybody, you're marketing to nobody. So John, so, knowledge. I love this subject. Um, I do believe that you need a, a number one avatar, a number one ideal client, and that you need to know what solution you are selling. Um, and you also need to know how to get that person to buy into that solution. So if I say, hey, I'm I'm veteran. I only want to, you know, my number one client is veterans and I want to do this for veterans, veteran, veteran, right? The best way to do that is dark humor and, you know, like all of the, all of the veteran things. Let's, let's get that marketing together to appeal to that crowd. If you only market there, um, you are going to get a couple of people that they like the veteran crowd They're but they're not veterans themselves. Maybe they're, grandfather was in world war ii or something and or maybe their uncle was in vietnam and um so you're gonna get those types of people oh i'm i'm a police officer i'm a uh, law enforcement officer and i uh i like the military stuff because we kind of have the same kind of camaraderie here at our department um you're gonna get some bleed over but once you realize that you can sell to not only one person, but this, you, you need that like secondary and tertiary layer to your clientele. Um, that's really where your uh, marketing begins. Um, nailing down into that niche, fantastic. You have to do it. But understanding that someone else needs your product or service and marketing also to them is absolutely vital. For instance, let me give you a great example of this. This is something that I learned through owning a business, right? So uh, when I started the online, uh, uh, e uh, the uh, e-commerce uh, fidget bomb, and I was selling fidget cubes and fidget spinners. I was, um, it was, it was easy to order my inventory and ship it to someone that would buy online, right? couple bucks, super easy transaction. They want it. I put a picture up, they get it. That client was, who was my ideal client? A young teenage boy, right? Or a young teenage girl in junior high or high school that, yeah, I've got a credit card or a debit card because I'm of that age now that I'm going to get online and I'm going to purchase this for $7 because who cares? It's $7 or five bucks. And so that, that's a transaction, easy peasy. When I realized that fidget cubes and fidget spinners um, 
were great tools for Alzheimer's and dementia patients, the second side of that business opened up. So you think that, oh, this is it's just a toy. It's a toy for kids. Well, I found a secondary market. And in that secondary market, I learned that having some kind of tactile thing for a dementia or Alzheimer's patient is very beneficial. So what I started doing from then on out it, it, during that summer that it was it was really hot and then it was not right um, that summer I started going door to door to the um, uh, the homes in Lubbock Texas and I'd have a box of them and I'd sell 10 at a time instead of selling one at a time and you know you're not being thousands every day um, online but you know I I, so I started doing that, and that was a little bit of market research into a secondary market. I've already got the primary market done, right? So the primary market's going to buy it online. They're a kid. They're going to spend a couple bucks. What's that secondary market? So when you start your coffee company, you partner with Coffee Sock of Austin, Texas, provides uh, reusable coffee filters for your coffee machine. And so now you can you can sell their thing on your website and they sell your coffee on their website or whatever. And, uh, you can sell the coffee pots. You can sell the, uh, drip, uh, systems. You can sell anything that you want, all these systems. Uh, and you can start looking into, uh, sunk, uh, sunk money variable, uh, uh and, and expendables and things like that. Um, and, and really start to say, okay, maybe they're not, these people are buying this thing, but maybe this other person might want to buy something very similar. Okay. So say you're a sticker company, you sell American flag stickers that say we, the people on them. And well, what about a different flag? Maybe somebody else would want a flag sticker. Maybe a don't tread on me sticker, right? That's a different market. Maybe, maybe it's the same. Maybe they want a, uh, an Irish flag because they're in Ireland. You can start selling overseas. Guess what? Same stickers and material. Put a new design on it. Same with the t-shirts. Put a new design on it. Put a brand on it. Put a new website up. Hey, I sell a bunch of veteran t-shirts. Well, what a, What about like, um, I'm already making t-shirts. What if I sold to women that like to go to the gym and lift? Let's sell women's tanks on a different site. Rebrand that. It's the exact same thing, exact same process different clientele. So that's why I love this subject is because people niche down so deep into their thing. They put the blinders on and somebody says, Hey, uh, can I give you money? No, you're not my ideal client. <laughs> so, um, and, and the last thing I'll say on that is what kind of company is Disney? They're everything. <laughs> They're an entertainment company. Yeah, yeah. If they would have said, we only do cartoons, they wouldn't be Disney. And, you know, a lot of things, you know, and we're going to talk about something that you don't hear a lot of, but most of the people I know that are six, seven, eight, nine figures, they have a huge email list. And they, you don't ever hear a lot of people talking about building your list. But when you build your list, you know, you own that list and you have customers that you can you know, for life until, until they log off, obviously, but you don't really talk about, you don't hear talked about a lot 
because it is a secret that a lot of people, a lot of, they don't want you to know that you need to have a mailing list. So talk about that a little bit. So I, I would say from the marketing standpoint, you need multiple facets of marketing. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're living in the day and age of marketing gurus everywhere. And, uh, everyone's a marketing uh, expert. Um, during COVID they, you know, they quit their job and became a marketing expert. And, and for someone like me, it's just like, okay, who do I partner with? If everyone's a marketing expert, like, I don't, I can't trust you necessarily. Where's your track record. You've been a marketing person. Yes. You've done this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. So to combat that, you need to understand uh, a vital role in marketing. The vital role is to get your product to the market. How do you get your product in front of people and put them through an actual marketing funnel, not just an online funnel, but an actual marketing funnel? And each one of those marketing funnels has a stage and each one of those stages needs to have a multifaceted um, kind of approach, right? So mailing lists is one approach of many to get attention or get uh, some buy-in from your clients. Somewhere down the funnel, you're contacting and making that touch point. But that email list, very vital, is only one part of an entire marketing plan. And so when you dive into one thing or what, you know, yeah, your email list needs to be huge, but guess what? To get there, your client list needs to be huge. How did you get your client list to get your email list to, you know, how do you, how do you get your, uh, uh, you know, the people that are going to say, yeah, Corey did a good job. How did you get those people in the first place? You didn't have a big email list to do that. So everything has to be compounding on uh, the thing. And, and I'll, I'll say this too, um, I saw a really great graphic and I want to say it was Gary Vaynerchuk, but I, I can't find it again. And maybe someone out there in the universe can help me, but basically, um, or maybe I'll just have to recreate it, but each channel that used to be, it's definitely Gary V. I'll have to relook for this, but each channel that used to be TV, right? Now that's on YouTube. Well, that's a channel, that's a marketing channel, right? Email used to be mail. So your mailing list could be snail mail or email or both. In fact, I advise a lot of companies to continue doing the snail mail thing and it's working out for them. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, gutter companies and uh, people that install or clean or do do any kind of lawn maintenance or any of that stuff. Guess what? I want to see that door hanger on my door. And that's that's usually how that's going to get you traction in that business. Well, guess what? I don't have to have a mailing list. I just have to have a couple of, you know, uh, people that are willing to walk the neighborhood and go hang door hangers and a little bit of capital to go spend the Kinko's. So what, you know, all of that, what all of that does is you build a system of trust. And what, what I mean by that is if you have, if you have an email list and you send everybody this email and it says Corey at gmail.com, right? Hey, I am a, I'm a high ranking business consultant. I make lots of money. I help you make lots of money. 
email me at Corey, Corey at gmail.com. My list could be millions of people. I've got a Gmail account. That's not building trust. So you have to have each one of those channels aligning with your brand. And uh, so that goes Facebook, YouTube. If you do TikTok, TikTok, whatever channel it is, you have to have all of those things. Now, some of them build more credibility than others. If I don't have a website at all, then I'm not going to build a lot of credibility with the people that are looking to maybe purchase from me. They're, gonna, they're trying to look for more information. They're going to say, hey, what, what's up with Corey? Let's see the About Me page. Let's go see if he's been on any podcast and maybe we can listen to him speak before I hire him. You know, um, so all of that put together is part of what you need as a master plan, right? Well, you know, okay, then also, uh, you know, I appreciate it that you're taking the time to hang out with us. If you have to go, just let me know and we'll bounce. But oh, I'm, just, good. I'm just enjoying the conversation because I, I love too. this stuff. Um, you know, a, a lot of people think, in the last year or two, you know, I'm going to put up a, a static website and I'm going to get rich. And then all of a sudden they're looking at their analytics and they're it's crickets. Yep. Nobody's coming. And, but they built the best website. It has all the bells and whistles, but you know, like, like some of the, you know, great people that are I'm learning from, they talk about, you know, if it's too busy, people are just going to hop off, you know? So talk about sometimes having a great web website, but also kind of keep it kind of simple where people are going to want to stay, but you know, they're, they're not going to see all the bells and the whistles, you know? Yeah. So, um, you, you have to, um, I'm going to take us back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with that? Yep. Okay. So our audience may not be. So, uh, if you're not, you can go Google it, but basically, at the very bottom of a pyramid, it is your physiological needs like air and water. If you are drowning, then you don't give a crap about anything else on that pyramid. You need air. So it, that's the basic need is those things. And then up from there is love and belonging and so on and so forth, all the way up to, um, you know, uh, your your higher purpose of giving back to the community and the world or whatever. And having this um, uh, kind of higher purpose, right? So each one of those has to be built on the other thing, right? And the reason I bring Maslow's up um, for this particular instance is because you have to understand that someone going to your website is in a certain stage of the development of learning about your business. And that stage it uh and, and we can even take it back to toddler you know uh crayola style that stage uh has to be communicated at the level that they're at you cannot just slam them with a bunch of data and say here's all this data uh blah 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 and uh them get it um especially in something like what i do with lean six sigma and all this stuff. People say, oh, what's Lean Six Sigma Black Belt? Are you going to do karate now? And I'm like, ugh. So I've got I've to talk to someone that doesn't know what a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt is on their level, and it's not their fault. I've got to educate them. So if my website is all about Lean Six Sigma Black Belt and, and mathematical equations and all this other stuff, then it's just anybody that needs that but doesn't understand it 
is just going to be like, I, I don't even, I can't even relate to this. I can't draw that line to what my need is, to what this website's telling me that they provide. So you have to communicate uh, on that level. Another great model is just a simple communication model where you have a transmitter and a receiver, and then in the middle, you've got some type of translation. It is the sender's responsibility to make sure that's translated in a meaningful way so the receiver can receive it properly. So if you only speak French and I only speak English and I'm trying to tell you something, it is still my responsibility to maybe find that translator or, or do some hand signals or body language to let you know what I'm feeling, right? And it's your responsibility to give me feedback on what you understood that I said. And in the military, we call that a back brief. Uh, sergeant tells you something, you say, all right, Sergeant, understand this is what I'm doing. And you repeat it back to them so that they understand that you understand. Yeah. And so everybody is good, right? So we have that back brief uh, in that communication. Same thing happens with your website. You want that feedback. Where's that feedback? That feedback is your bounce rate. Um, and so when someone visits your website, if they visit your website, you are going to see that they left your website. Why did they leave? Maybe they were confused. Maybe they didn't. Uh, so there's a lot There's a lot of tools out there. Um, Hotjar is a great tool. Um, and, and there's a lot of metrics out there, depending on which kind of website you have. Um, or, you know, whatever. So when you look at those metrics and you say, okay, we had 80 visitors today. Great, fantastic. Zero people bought. Okay. Well, maybe your sample size is a little small. So maybe it was Sunday and nobody really wants, for some reason, those 80 people didn't want to buy. Let's slam a thousand people through your website. Um, and maybe you're a small company. Let's slam a thousand people through and look at that and see how many people buy there, you know? So... Looks like Jared says, hey, guys. But uh, I think I think that's that's really where it comes down to is understanding how to translate to your audience that's looking at your website. You can't just be uh, throwing stuff on a website. Simpler, the better. A lot of cases, in, in my case, I do need a little complication because I need people to understand that I don't go and help a bakery that I can't move the needle a million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a bakery that's wanting to expand and sell their wares and their goods uh, in a multi-region space and they want to manufacture some cookies or something, as opposed to making it in mom's kitchen, then yes, we can move the needle a million dollars, right? So um, I need them to understand that and be educated along the path of all of their touch points before they contact me for an engagement. Okay, you know, like when my in our group, a gentleman, his name is William Matry. Um, he does, he did all my, he built my website, um, vertical momentum podcast.com. But before we did that, you know, we went to look at, you know, who the top people in my market is, you know, like Ed Milet, Adam Carolla, you know, Tony, you know, Tony and, and, and you know, Anthony Robbins and all these people, you look at their websites. I mean, you can't, you don't bite off of them. But you're like, okay, that's what's working. So yeah. make it your own. And, and I think a lot of people don't do the correct market research when they, they think they're just going to go to GoDaddy and put up a website. And all of a sudden, you know, like you said, 
nobody's going to go to it. And when they do go to it, they're going to bounce right off of it. Correct. Um, yeah. And I, I think, I think you've got to, uh, another analogy from Corey here, uh, but you've got to use the right lure, right. Uh, on your fishing line. And if, you know, this is me being from West Texas, you know, let's go fish. Um, if you're going to try to catch a certain type of fish, you need a certain type of lure, right? You can't catch, um, you know, the, a catfish the same way as you can catch a bass um, or whatever. Uh, you know, we can, we can talk about fish all day, but that has to be uh, something. Hey, this is what's working. This is the lure that they're using. Let's amend this for my need, for my audience. Um, and let's make sure that they're educated. Let's make sure that they are, the touch points are correct for my audience and my path and what operation I'm, you know, doing here. And, um, and I think that's, that's absolutely right. If you just throw something together again, that's like the, uh, uh, that's like not having a business plan. You just threw it together. Great. You just, you know, um, I will say though, you know, it's becoming more and more easy to do something like Wix or like um, uh, Squarespace or, or, you know, or even just hire someone to do a good WordPress for you. Um, it's so easy nowadays. And the technology is there where uh, people just do that kind of stuff. And, um, and so you can have that put together for you uh, by a, a number of people. Um, and uh, if even if you're not very uh, intelligent on that thing right now, you can go to Wix or Squarespace or, or anything else and, and there's formats for you and, and you can do that. Um, I will say, yeah, anything, take a, take a look at somebody else's book and, and maybe uh, uh, try to, and that's, that's one, one of the things I did when I was starting my consultancy. I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't really plan on being a consultant when I was a kid, you know? Um, so I had no idea how to really start a consulting business. I knew how to create a product business. Hey, let's make a technology or something to help solve a problem and let's manufacture it and let's sell it. Right. Or maybe the service is lawn mowing. That's pretty simple. But how how do I sell something that's a complicated service that, uh, you know, so I had to go look at other consultants websites. That's one of the things that I've and I still do it every once in a while. I'll uh, you know, uh, I take part of my process is every quarter and it's coming up. I take a week away from all clients, all meetings, anything, if I can help it. And all I do is, you know, focus on building my business for one week, anything new. I look at uh, some people, they're like, uh, you can't spend 800 bucks. Nope. I'm not going to spend anything over $200 off a whim uh, unless I've thought about it at my quarterly meeting with myself. Anything over $200. I'm still a small business. I want to make sure that my money is going in the proper place. If it's if it's something that needs to happen right now, then um, maybe this isn't the right time. But if you're going to charge me $1,000 for a service, then I'm going to think about it at my quarterly meeting. That's it. I've got a process for that. So uh, having said that, go back and look and say, hey, look, how do we develop this business out? How do we look at the website? How do we look at our mailing list? How do we develop this? 
and find ways to come up with a plan, put some pavers out in front of you uh, and turn on your flashlight a little bit and, and you'll you'll be on the right path. Uh, but if you don't do any of that, you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and wasting money on a Wix site every month. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, one thing you know, um, as we're starting to wind down, you know, um, I don't care what people say about Dan Locke. I like him. Um, but the one thing he talks about is the number one paying job in the world is if you can write the right copy. And I think a lot of times people... They just write stuff. And for me, like, and, and I learned this the last 12-week class that I took. Uh, thank you, Liam and Chris. That people will not pull out their wallet until they're emotionally involved somehow. And I think a lot of it has to do with copy. So please talk. Please hit on that for a minute or two. Absolutely. Um, so copy is, is really that... Um, that educator, like we talked about, that translator. How does this appeal to me? How does this pull in my heartstrings or appeal to my better judgment about business? Same thing. Somebody, hey, somebody charges, wants to charge me a thousand dollars. That could be a great product. You can pull on my heartstrings, and that's why I evaluate it before I purchase, um, because I know that that's how my purchasing is done. If I don't do that, I will just say, this sounds like a great idea. I want to spend money on that. And uh, the copy is written very well. It appeals to me. I understand it. it. I understand that it's going to solve one of my problems. The problem that I've been really looking to solve, this copy is telling me and translating and communicating to me that they solved my problem. You have to, I have to sleep on it or I'm going to purchase everything, right? Because I think copywriting, um, if done correctly, should entice that buyer to buy now, um, should entice that buyer to understand that they or uh, not entice them to understand, but to help them understand and translate that message to them and say, you have this problem. We saw this problem. This is actually going to be cost effective for you. Um, so go ahead and jump. And if your copy isn't doing that, um, then and there, there's a lot of different paths for copy. Um, I would say, again, educational copy is very important. You cannot just jump into some things. Like I said, like the Lean Six Sigma, I could say, hey, look, your business is broken, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? Everybody's business is broken. But I cannot help certain clients because they 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 are not at the level that I help clients at. They are not in the industries that I help clients in. And, um, and so I need them to be educated and not entice them to buy right off the bat. Because if I entice them to buy, they call me and it's a waste of everybody's time. So I need to ease them into the process by educating them first, then having that copy and building that relationship and that trust through copy to then understand, hey, I want to buy something from this person. They seem like a good person. They seem, or this seems like an outstanding business. They seem like these pizza rolls uh, are tasty and, and healthy to eat as opposed to trashy. So I'm going to buy these pizza rolls instead of these. How does that copy? How do, how do your colors, your designs, 
your branding, how does that all kind of fit in together? Again, you've got you've to have multiple platforms for your marketing and multiple techniques for your marketing and copywriting is no different. You have to bring that copywriting. Your message on TikTok has to be slightly different than the message on your website, but they both have to point the same direction, right? I love it. So now who is your perfect avatar? And if they're listening now, where can they find you and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, I I run several businesses. Uh, as you know, Traction Graphics, my perfect avatar for Traction Graphics are marketing departments and marketing agencies that need a trusted um, source for graphic design, your flyers, your all of that stuff. And or my secondary kind of uh, or, you know, tertiary market is, uh, you know, startups that are getting funding and they need a great uh, brand. So I'm working with a lot of technology companies and working with, uh, you know, everyone from Vistaprint to Mars Pets to, um, you know, Sinful Suites here in Austin. Uh, they, they just uh, did a deal with Kendra Scott. So we're, you know, we're doing great branding for these companies uh, on that side. So anybody that needs those types of services, that's what we do. We are not the uh, cost solution. We are the quality solution on that graphic front. The second thing is on the consulting side, I really help clients that are in the 50 million to $100 million in revenue range. I've gone higher, I've gone lower on that range, uh, but mainly those companies that I can move the needle a million dollars. Um, manufacturing, construction, um, you name it, those types of clients are, I'm able to look at your operations, iron out a bunch of the circular workflows and all of the things uh, that really go into your process and and actually move that needle. Uh, when I deal with clients that are a little bit too small, um, sometimes they don't have the resources to implement. Um, so, um, you know, I can, I'm kind of barking at a wall sometimes. And so I do love to help everyone. So if it comes down to me having a conversation with you, if you say, hey, I'm too small for Corey, I still, I would love to talk to them because I would love to connect them with someone like Richard or someone uh, like, uh, you know, like Rob or whoever does cater to these different uh, types of clients. And I build my network uh, to cater to that, right? Because I can't physically help everyone, but I can definitely connect them to someone who can help. Um, so my ideal client there are those construction uh, companies that have process project managers, things like that, and then manufacturing either a product or a food. Um, and even uh, those big technical guys, uh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna build pumps, we're gonna design them, we're gonna get engineers. I come from that background, right? So I have a lot of information uh, regarding those project management uh, type processes in the manufacturing process as well. And that, the Rob that we're talking about is Dr. Robert Garcia of the Warrior Strategist. Yeah, I like to just throw out names, uh, but it could have been any Rob. But yes, that is a Rob that I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know several Robs, but uh, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, um, it, you know, I have people that make websites. I have people that do graphic design, that do a graffiti style or whatever that I really you know, it's not my creative little niche. So I would love to refer people out or or do that. So, um, so really, like I said, 
I have my ideal avatar person, you know, these business owners, these, uh, and these, um, COOs of these companies, uh, for the, uh, for the manufacturing side. Um, let's, you know, let's meet that person. But if you say, Hey, we're maybe let's see somebody that we can uh, meet and, and I like to just meet other business owners and just talk business every once in a while. So is there a website that we can go to? Is there a way to connect with you? Absolutely. Uh, GravierStrategy.com. That's G-R-A-V-I-R strategy. And it's a French word that means to climb because I like to hike and climb. And so we've kind of branded everything outdoors. So GravierStrategy.com. Um, and I've got lots of these level up groups um, and the level up groups are on that Gravier site. So if you want some free advice from other business owners in a business owner setting, uh, I've got a veteran business owner group. I've got a uh, an Austin group, a Denver group. Uh, so I've got all of that on that Gravier site. Uh, you can go check that out. Um, and then you can even find tractiongraphics.com on that Gravier site as well because we're putting mud tires on your outdoor kind of uh, your adventure there. So, which, uh, so for your business, you need, you need some, uh, some graphics that get some traction, don't you? I love it guys. This has been a great episode. This has been fun. I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, thank you for whoever, for you guys picking up the book, uh, hero's journey from darkness to light. All the proceeds go to help out project Die Hard 22 helping Brian Gibson out. Um, but at, somebody just texted me to said, what the hell are you drinking? I'm drinking my own coffee, which we just just came out with. People that missed that Army military mud coffee, um, we just came out with it. Twice the caffeine of any any coffee, but I'm actually giving this away. So if somebody writes coffee in, in the comments, they're going to be entered to win uh, a shipment of coffee from from Jose from Third Day Coffee. So if they if they write write the word coffee in uh, chat, um, they'll be entered to win. Brother, I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm so grateful that you took the time and hung out with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I loved the discussion today. All right, guys. This is like I said. Make sure you check out his website. He's doing awesome things. He's real. I got. I love your LinkedIn profile, by the way. You got a really nice LinkedIn profile. So oh yeah. And um, guys, just remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. And I will catch you guys tomorrow. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.